Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. James Conner seems to think the running game is back. Mike Tomlin seems to think the running game is back. Um, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network, coming to you today from Jacksonville, Florida, site of the Steelers' 27-3 victory over the Jaguars yesterday that pushed them to 10-0, uh, pushed up a lot of other positive numbers, and at the same time, you know, that running thing, let's talk about it a little bit. Because what I saw out there, and I'll be taking a second look at the game through video and doing study and analysis and all that, but sometimes it really does matter what you literally see with your own eyes. The press box at TIA Bank Field is kind of off to one of the corners, so you have a decent, not great, but a decent angle on holes that develop, and especially running lanes, how well backs hit them and so forth. Connor ended up with... 89 yards on 13 carries, which is obviously really good. He broke off three pretty big runs, two 17s and a 25, and did certainly a whole lot better than what the Steelers had shown in recent weeks. So I'll stop right there, full credit, you know, Way to go, yippee Uh The linebackers of the Jacksonville Jaguars happen to be their greatest strength, so it's not even one of those things where you can say, well, it's a terrible opponent and, and everything else. They did a decent job, the Steelers did, with the running game. However, however, I wanted to see, and I'd been – talking about this for the whole week leading up to the game. I wanted to see things that looked like regular old run blocking, meaning trap them up the middle, make some holes, uh, find a way to punch through, look authoritative at the line, look authoritative with your running back, and the routes that he chooses. And I I don't want to be that guy, but I didn't see that. I'm sorry. I still didn't see it. The 25-yarder did come up the middle. It was on a little bit of a counter, but you know, up the middle is up the middle. Connor broke through and got some pretty nice yards. 
the two 17-yarders, one went way around right end and the other one went way around left end. That's not a pathway to anything, as Connor and the Steelers have painfully experienced themselves. Most, not all, but most of the running plays, including the ones designed for Connor, continued to be east-west, continued to be right-left with a lot of that college-type misdirection and everything else. And some of them did work, principally, I thought, because Jacksonville didn't have people to seal the edges, missing both of their starting corners, and their outside linebackers aren't nearly as good as their inside guys. So what was really gained? I don't know. Here's the thing. is After the game, there was a very open sense of defiance from the Steelers about the running game. And uh, here, I'll start with James Conner. We weren't down on ourselves. You know, even though everybody else counted us out, we knew that we had another opportunity to, to keep growing in the run game and keep, you know, working on things to get it going. And uh, well, we could practice, uh, running hard today, the line was blocking, you know, another opportunity. Well, yeah. I mean, everyone was saying that. You know why everyone was saying that? Because everyone saw it. It was true. Uh I get that finding anger-type motivation isn't especially easy when you're 10-0. and 0. And there are athletes and individuals in all walks of life who feed better or more easily off of anger or wanting to prove it to somebody or I'll show you. Connor absolutely is one of those. He's been like that forever, including most admirably his battle against cancer. He saw that as a fight as a defiance and 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 he won and and that's great in this one you're going after who or what exactly the Steelers running game wasn't down because people were criticizing it Steelers running game was down because it stunk because they couldn't block because they couldn't run because they couldn't do anything right out of the backfield but here's how this works. Mike Tomlin is, uh, you hear the term master motivator a lot. He's more of a master manipulator, okay? He will find and seek out things that are criticisms, and he will use those to push the appropriate buttons, meaning the players who he knows can have those buttons pushed. Connor's one of those for sure. And I have no doubt, just reading between the lines here, that that's what he was doing. And in case you need some evidence of that, listen to Tomlin himself. You know, I don't know, man. I'll let you guys keep talking about that. You know, it was better today. Um, we'll keep assessing it. Um, you know, we're not going to crack that nut with the first swing. Uh, it's going to take continual work and effort on our part to continue to work on our warts. And that's not our only work. Uh, it's just the one that you guys choose to recognize. Yep, we will write our stories. It's what we do. We'll just write whatever it is that actually happens, what it is that we witness. The Steelers have not been a good running team. The running game has held back the offense. Those two things are true. They're not attacks. 
They're not challenges. They're just true. There's nothing else to that. When the Steelers start showing a consistent running game that is not just on the edges against teams that can't seal the edges, then you write something else that ideally will also be true. You know, this this isn't all that complicated a thought process on this end. I respect immensely that Tomlin continues to speak of this team, also to this team, about its imperfections. According to Tomlin, after this game, the Steelers spent their Saturday night meeting here at a Jacksonville hotel discussing basically their flaws and what are the things that they have to work on. And he kept stressing again and again how imperfect they are while at the same time applauding the record that they've accumulated along the way. That is absolutely the right approach. That is exactly what a, not a good coach, what a great coach would do. Because they're not going to get a banner of any kind at any point for being 10-0 and 0 or whatever it is that they end up in the regular season. They're not. If they were to go down in the first round, or the first round for which they're qualified, depending on how the AFC playoffs set up, the whole thing's a disaster. In fact, it's an even greater disaster. It'll feel a lot like, you know, the 13-3 and team that went down to these Jaguars. He's doing the right thing. But, uh, you know, <laughs> when, you're, when you're wagging a finger at people along the way, whether that's media, whether that's fans, or some combination of both, and I suspect that it is both, it's very much fair to counter, as I am here, that all we're talking about is the truth, and that I think we would all like the truth to be different than what it is. Let's see how they run against Baltimore on Thursday night. To me, that'll be a much much more significant showing of any potential progress that they're making. When we come back, what does 10-0 mean within the context of the AFC North Division and the conference as a whole? doesn't quite look slash feel the way maybe we thought it would after that really fun first meeting between these arch rivals down in Baltimore a month ago. The Steelers have done nothing but win since then, and the Ravens after that soul-crushing overtime loss to the Titans yesterday are now 6-4. and four. So these teams are on different tracks. Baltimore has 
lost some significant players to injury along the way. And really, if you revisit their whole schedule, the Ravens have dramatically, I think, underperformed from their 14-2 and two level last year, and not just in terms of wins and losses. They're just not the same team. They can't run the way they did. Uh, Lamar Jackson still can't pass, and because they can't run, he can't really hide that. The defense isn't stopping anybody up front. They have the people in the secondary. But to that effect, I think you're going to see the Steelers come out at least trying to run big sets and to run right at the Ravens and see if they can play against that group rather than the group of terrific defensive backs that they can put out on the field. It's not a great football team. Um, regardless of what happens Thursday night, the Ravens are they're not toast, but they're, they're getting there. The Steelers, I think, could come close to ending their season in case anybody on that side was looking for additional motivation. The Ravens at 6-4 and four are tied with the Dolphins, and they're both just outside the AFC playoff picture. That leaves the 7-3 and three Browns as the last real remaining threat, if you will, if any such thing exists, in the AFC North. I don't buy that. In addition to the fact that the, the Steelers have three games up on them, they also crush them head-to-head, -head, so they've got the tiebreaker as well as it relates to the division. Um, they won't meet again, the Steelers and Browns, until the regular season finale. I don't imagine that's going to mean a whole lot for either side. But the Browns are shaping up as a playoff team. And when they do have Nick Chubb, which they didn't against the Steelers, they look like at least a reasonably competent offense, even in the face of having Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. They're not to be taken seriously, though. I'm sorry. I, I'm not just saying that because of the head-to-head -head and what I saw with my own eyes, the 38-7 debacle. I'm, I'm just, in general, there. there's too many flaws there. The Browns aren't somebody that you're going to take seriously in the AFC. Who's left then? You know, while I was writing my column for DKPittsburghSports.com at the hotel last night. I had the Chiefs and Raiders game on as kind of background music. You know how you do that? The game's there. You can hear Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth in the background, but it's really just, it's like the fan blowing. And as the game got more and more interesting, as it went deeper into the fourth quarter, and it was clear that whoever was going to have the ball last was going to win because nobody could stop anybody. Patrick Mahomes goes six plays, uh, 75 yards, and hits Travis Kelsey with a strike to win it. The Chiefs, 35, and the Raiders, 31. There were parts of that game where you thought, like, wow, the, the Raiders look like they're really up and coming. Derek Carr looks like he's got it together for the first time in a couple of years. And then you saw they couldn't stop anybody. And there's always a time, which is all the time, when you're looking at Patrick Mahomes and realizing that he 
just looks unstoppable still. Like nobody's solved the things that he does, the arm that he has, the vision that he has, the quickness all over the field. But then the Chiefs don't stop anybody either. So you look around the rest of the conference and you start thinking about, you know, whatever the Steelers' path to the Super Bowl might be, however that gets aligned. There isn't anybody in the conference, including Kansas City, where I go, wow, now that's going to be rough. You know, Um, there's no way they'll get past that team. Mahomes will give them the greatest challenge they'll have faced if they end up facing him. But the reverse is also true. The Steelers' defense, T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree and Stephon Tuitt and all these guys, they'll be the greatest challenge that he's faced. There's nothing about Kansas City where you just look at them and think this is some juggernaut. Uh, yeah, they're 9-1. and one. The Steelers are 10-0. and oh. If you want to go to straight outcomes, they're right there. You could, I'm sure, make arguments that are in favor of the Chiefs as being the better team if you start digging into the statistics, particularly on offense, where the Steelers still rank either average or below average in most categories. But if you're talking about a defining trait of either team, and the trait of the Steelers that stands out the most is that they eat quarterbacks, is that their defense flips the field, gets takeaways, creates turnovers, the number one swing vote in any playoff game, you're probably going to lean with that group. Anybody else I'm missing? You tell me. Can you just say it out loud? Buffalo Bills? I don't know. They're going to see the Bills in a couple of weeks. The Indianapolis Colts have some strong suits, but they still have Phillip Rivers at quarterback. And, you know, they pulled one out uh, yesterday themselves. And, and they look impressive at times, especially on defense. But then Phillip Rivers goes out there, and you realize they've got Phillip Rivers at quarterback. The Bills are showing some signs of life with that defense of theirs uh, the way they did a year ago, but then they cough up 40 points. Uh, and I, I still don't know exactly what to make of Josh Allen. And my point here is that not to sit here and just do a checklist of the entire conference. Hey, they stink, they stink, they stink, because they don't. There's some good teams, but there isn't a great team. There isn't a team the way the Steelers, when they were 13-3, and to cite that again, would look at the Patriots off on the horizon and say, whoa. You know what I mean? Where you would just be so floored by the scope of the upset that would be required for Pittsburgh to get to the Super Bowl because one way or another they were going to have to go through Foxborough and Brady and Belichick and everybody. And that does not exist. That does not exist this year. The Steelers just need to be the best version themselves and they still haven't done that other than I think one out of ten games that being against Cleveland they can still get a lot better as a team and that should scare the rest of the conference instead of the other way around when we come back 
Bengals. Yeah, really. At Point Park University, in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Welcome back. If you haven't seen Joe Burrow, the Bengals' wonderful young quarterback, having his knee smashed into and wrecked, yesterday in Washington. Don't. Don't. The director at CBS who was doing the live broadcast just made a on-the-fly decision that he wasn't going to be showing some of the more accurate replays uh, that they had. There was one live shot where you could just kind of tell that a couple of guys bumped into him, but there always are, and there were in this case, other angles that would have been uh, not all that pleasant for anyone to see, least of all uh, people who are close to Burrow. It's it's an ugly thing anytime that happens, whether it's uh, a visually unappealing injury or even just you know you, you rip your ACL, you rip your uh, you rip your knee up, even if it doesn't come with something that's you know grotesque to watch. It's still ugly in the sense that it's it's unsettling. Burrow has such a bright future in the NFL. Once he leaves Cincinnati. One thing the NFL does year after year after year, and I'm not going to suggest there's a solution for it, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, is the draft comes along the number one pick, or the number two, or the three, or the whatever, but always very, very high, is going to be some potential future superstar quarterback. Someone who's a franchise fixture at the most important position in the game by a mile. And that player will go just by the nature of how drafts work, to the worst or one of the worst teams in the league. That player also could and likely will go to a team that is either poorly managed or poorly funded, or if you're the Bengals, both. And that that just stinks. The people in Cincinnati, in their front office, did make a couple of moves to try to bolster their horrific offensive line before Burrow got there. They they knew they were going to get him. They got him. And they, they also made a couple of draft picks once they got deeper after the Burrow pick to add there. But it, it wasn't nearly enough. And Mike Brown, the team president there, who 
is part of the family that's owned and grossly mismanaged the Bengals for so long, never spends up to the cap. Not sometimes, it never, ever spends up to the cap. Now, there's not a huge discrepancy between a cap and a floor in any league. In the NFL, it's only $20 million, but you know what? $20 million gets you a whole lot of offensive line. It gets you a whole lot. The Bengals didn't go out and get these guys. They didn't go out and get people to protect Burrow. Is it a little too easy or too convenient to just point the finger at the front office whenever something like this happens? Sure it is, but it's also accurate. It's also accurate. This wasn't an isolated incident. Burrow had been getting sacked, drilled, pummeled, uh, rolled into, slammed to the ground, cheap-shotted. If you remember the early uh, drilling he took from the Eagles. And he was basically just expected to weather this. Go ahead, go get it, kid. You know, show us what you got. Eventually, law of averages, the more times you get sacked, the more times you get knocked down, the more times you get rolled into, you'll stay down. And that's what happened here. I I don't have a specific complaint or a solution here, certainly not from the league perspective. The league can't mandate that teams are run smartly. The league can't mandate that if you draft a quarterback really high and early on, you must go and get him a really good offensive line. Can't do that. You would hope that there'd be some logic there. You'd hope that somebody would connect the dots. But if you go across the NFL's perennial bottom feeders, like Cincinnati, like the New York teams, and you ask yourself what they have in common, it's that they keep just self-devouring by bringing in these quarterbacks and they end up just becoming Sam Darnold or Daniel Jones. And the easy thing to say is, well, they blew it with the draft. They, they, they got the wrong guy. They should have taken this guy. When in fact, maybe, maybe these quarterbacks would get a little bit more of a chance if they were playing for teams that knew how to shelter them, how to protect them. There's really not another sport like that. If you draft a a basketball player, one or two, yeah, his team might still stink, but you're not going to put him in a position to get hurt or to get killed. Same goes for hockey, baseball, whatever. Only in football do you bring in the player who's going to be your most valuable guy and put him at risk without immediately, immediately bringing in systematic and personnel support. So, to an extent, and not being insensitive to Burrow here, the Bengals themselves got what they deserved here. This is what loser franchises do, what the Bengals did here. I hope like crazy Joe Burrow comes back and is every bit as good, even better, than what we just saw this season. But I'm not banking on it until he's out of there. Thanks so much for listening today.
your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.